God of ministry, of mystery. But you give us the opportunity to glimpse something of your glory, of your love, of your divine mercy. So speak to us afresh in Jesus' name, for we ask it for your sake. Amen. So today is Trinity Sunday, and this could be my shortest sermon ever. So in response to my sermon title, The Church Doesn't Do Mystery, Does It?, I could simply preach, yes it does, and now we'll sing our next hymn. But, but such a comment uh, requires some unpacking. But let me say this, I do not have a problem with a three-in-one God being a mystery. I, I, don't, I don't worry about that. I don't lose sleep over that at all. And when I did my theological training, I remember a lecturer saying that we never get to the point where we fully understand God. We do not reach that point when we can metaphorically pop God into our top pocket and carry him around and say, well, I've got God sussed. That's not possible, and I don't have a problem with that. I love worshipping a mysterious God. And if ever it were possible to completely suss God, if God ceases to be a mystery, what is left? <laughs> What's left? And so to use another phrase of my lecturer, we embark on an eternal journey of discovery. I love that, this eternal journey of discovery. You see, God as three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may be mysterious, but he is not distant or detached. Neither is he completely mysterious, for by his grace, he has revealed aspects of himself to humankind since the world began. And so anyone who's preaching on Trinity Sunday may feel duty-bound to explain how it all works. We may use the mathematical formula that one times one times one equals one. Or how we can be three different people, for me, wife, daughter, big sister, yet remain one person. But what does that really teach us? Because the Trinity and explaining it, it's not about trying to be clever or by oversimplifying the Trinity that we fail to capture the wonder of it. It's not about that at all. And we live in an age where we turn to the internet for our answers. I do it a huge amount actually. And so in that age, I ask you the question, can we live with the mystery? And can we be in awe of the Holy Trinity? Tim Chester, in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, quotes Robin Parry. And I love this quote. I hope you like it too. For many Christians, the Trinity has become something akin to their appendix. It's there, but they're not sure what its function is. And they get by in life without it doing very much. And if they had to have it removed, they wouldn't be too distressed. 
And Tim Chester then asks the question, is the doctrine of the Trinity irrelevant? And the rest of his book addresses his question. And obviously he says, yes, the Trinity is relevant. And rather than dismissing it, we should be delighting in it. Why? Because the Trinity is at the heart of all that we believe. The triune God sent his son into human history so that we could know him as our father. And he sends his spirit to accompany us in the struggles of life. And to find out more about this triune God is a wonderful adventure, that eternal journey of discovery. So the triune God revealed in the Bible is good news. And so the Trinity must be good news too. So, as in the words of The Sound of Music, I won't sing it to you. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. God is the sovereign Lord of creation. We heard the reading from Genesis. By his mighty word, the world is created. Order is brought out of chaos. Light conquers darkness. And the wild and fearful sea is brought under control. And all created things in their appointed places bow in praise and adoration before the Lord their maker. What you will have picked up in those few verses from Genesis is that God is not a God of isolation. He is a God of relationship. God is the sovereign Lord of creation. And on day six of creation, God says, let us make human beings in our own image, in our likeness. So right from the beginning, there was God. Right from the beginning, the Spirit hovered over the waters. And John writes at the start of his gospel that the Word made flesh was with God in the beginning. And some find great significance when God says, let us make human beings in our own image and in our own likeness. Because God is already in community and relationship before the creation of humankind. So God who is already in community in relationship with the Son and the Holy Spirit extends his grace to us by creating us. And not just creating us, but creating us in his own image. But how are we to understand that phrase, in our image and after our likeness? Well, generally it's meant to mean, and this is correct, that humankind receives from God a divine stamp, which differentiates us from the animals. Humankind is far superior to animals because of their special relation to their master. But it's more than that, being made in God's image and likeness. Because if we are talking about relationship here, and we are, we can say that humankind is made for fellowship with God. Humankind is made for fellowship with God. And the image received 
by Adam from God is passed from one generation to another. And so bringing that right up to the moment, we are made for fellowship with God. The sovereignty that humankind holds is as trust from God. Humankind is master of the world only as long as he or she recognize their dependence upon God, who is actually the creator of the world. And the moment that humankind tries to become like God and assumes powers that belong to God alone, humankind lives in fear of God. It all goes very, very wrong. Because we rebel against the one who created us and gave us dominion. But notice God's response when this happens. As soon as Adam falls prey to sin, what does God do? God looks for Adam in the garden. There is this wonderful picture of the Savior God right at the start of Scripture, going and seeking the lost, the fallen. And that is the theme of the whole Bible. The God who is revealed to us in Scripture is a personal God who created humankind in his own image to have fellowship with him. And when that fellowship is broken by sin, it is God, it is God who takes the initiative to restore that relationship. He initiated the drama of redemption. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us. God condescends to tread the earth in search of humankind who rebelled against him. What what grace, what grace. And God offers humankind the opportunity to repent. Salvation is solely from God, from beginning to end. The image of God in humankind was marred by sin, but is revealed in perfect clarity in the incarnation, in the person of Jesus Christ. As Charles Wesley wrote, our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. We can't understand it. God made the world, but the world became fallen. So does God wash his hands of us? Maybe we think he should. He doesn't. He asks, what shall we do? What shall we do? And after sending prophets, the Son is sent, Jesus Christ, that we might see the God face in Jesus Christ. God sent his own Son. Can we even begin to appreciate the depth of God's grace in that. So Jesus, the face of God, comes with God's blessing. The intimate love of the Father for the Son is evident throughout the Gospels. The Trinity is evident at the baptism of Jesus. It says this, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water 
and suddenly the heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This Trinitarian relationship appears again and again in the Gospels. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, says Jesus. And in Jesus Christ, the last Adam, we see what we might have been had sin not entered the world. So in him, we can become what God intended us to be. And after Christ's ascension, the story of God is poised. It's on a cliff edge because Jesus has returned to heaven. And so next week, what's going to happen now? And so God says, so what shall we do now? And he sends his Holy Spirit, which Martin covered so eloquently last week on Pentecost. We may refer to the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Pentecost, but he or she is not at all inferior, but equal. And as Martin did explain last week, holy is not a title. Holy is the character of Holy Trinity, of the Spirit. So the Holy Trinity is about salvation. The Holy Trinity is about relationship. The Holy Trinity is about community. The Holy Spirit is about unity. And that's why as churches, we need to be united. But the Holy Trinity is also about mission. And so we may try to understand the Trinity. And I've tried to do a little bit that, about that for you today. But if we apply what my friend used to say, the so what theory is that we are caught up in that trinity too. We are invited with that trinity to become part of God's mission for the world. There's a beautiful, beautiful old story which tells of how Jesus, after his ascension into heaven, was surrounded by the holy angels who began to inquire about his work on earth. Tell us, Jesus, about your time on earth. And he told them about his birth, his life, his preaching, his death and resurrection, and how he had accomplished the salvation of the world. And the angel Gabriel said, well, now you're back in heaven, who's going to continue your work on earth? And Jesus said, well, while I was on earth, I gathered a group of people around me who believed me and loved me. And they will continue to spread the gospel and to carry on the work of the church. And Gabriel was a little perplexed and said, you mean Peter, who denied you three times and, and all the rest, who ran away when you were crucified? Is that the group? Are we talking about the same group here? You mean to tell us that you left them to carry on your work? Hmm. So tell me, Jesus, what are you going to do if that plan doesn't work? What's your, what's your plan B, Jesus? And Jesus said, I have no other plan. I've got no other plan. 
It's got to work. It's got to work. Jesus had no other plan for mission than to depend on the efforts of his followers. So that is the plan. Mission depends on you and me. That's the so what about Trinity. Each of us using our talents and gifts and time and resources for the good of the gospel. Remembering we are not left alone. We are hand in hand with God, the Holy Spirit. We are never alone or abandoned. And so I finish with some words from Tim Chester, who made a mention about appendix earlier on. But the Christian message is the good news that God is involved. The Father sent his Son into the pain and confusion of human history to reconcile us to himself. And now he gives his Spirit to accompany us in the struggles of life. By telling the story of the triune God, we invite people to know the God who both rules the world and has come close to us, welcoming us into his family. And that is a God worth getting out of bed for. Amen. And so as those words settle in our hearts and minds, we respond with our next hymn, How Shall I Sing That Majesty Which Angels Do Admire?